Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our second episode all about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the show, the TV show, but the first one <laughs> from our homes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. The first time we were able to talk about this was at our live show at Star Wars Celebration. We are home now. And I will warn you that I came home with a cold, not COVID, but a cold, which honestly, I I just think it's kind of funny that I did (laughs) (laughs) because it feels like everyone else is testing positive for COVID. I'm very glad I am not, but it feels a little incredulous that every time I take those tests, which I've taken like dozens at this point that it's not positive when I have a cold. Anyway, very happy to be here today, to be on the mend and uh, definitely feeling the effects of the cold medicine. So you never know what you're (laughs) going to get from me today. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I uh, thankfully have dodged the con crud, the cold and the COVID uh, post (laughs) convention um like charlotte i've been uh yeah i've been testing every day just got back my final pcr test today that said negative i don't know i'm just honestly a little flabbergasted it feels fake it feels i I, well i was doing the at-home test and i was like i surely i'm doing this wrong because (laughs) there's no way like i've been i've stayed home all week like i've isolated i haven't gone anywhere you know just in case um, but getting the PCR test back felt kind of like a final, you're good. I don't know. It just, it does feel fake. And yeah, we know a lot of people who have either had Concred or have tested positive, unfortunately, for COVID. So if you went to celebration and are currently on the men like Charlotte is, uh, we are hoping you have a speedy, speedy recovery. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we're here to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi part three. And this aired on June 1st. It's written by Joby Harold, Hannah Friedman, Hossein Amini, and Stuart Beatty. And it was directed by Deborah Chow. So now that we are casually halfway through this series. Casually. Casually. Casually halfway through. 50% done. I Okay, whatever. Blowing past that. What are your overall impressions of the show? Oh my gosh. This show is giving me everything I could have ever wanted. I am so unbelievably positive on this show. If if you're not into that, then you probably need to like click away from this podcast because to me, this is my favorite thing that I've gotten from Star Wars in so long. And I, I can only feel like, I feel like it feels so refreshing to me because it truly feels like a sequel to Revenge of the Sith. Like it's following up on everything that Revenge of the Sith did as that as that was my entry point into huge Star Wars fandom. I feel like this show is taking things that I've thought about for so many years to new heights and delivering and I don't know, defying my own expectations. I'm really enjoying it. And I, I don't know, I'm really, really loving it. What about you? Yeah, 100% same. This really does feel like a continuation of the second trilogy of the prequels. And that's just so great (laughs) to see because, you know, there have been things that have come in this time period, right, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, but they've always kind of been pushing towards a new hope and towards that aesthetic and towards, you know, like more and more of that imperial stormtroopers, that gray and black and white and everything like that, which, you know, made sense for those stories, you know, specifically thinking about like rebels itself, like the more and more that we got the empire presence in that show. 
Um, and then, you know, everything we've had in live TV since has been post Return of the Jedi. So to have a live action show like this that is, yes, 10 years post Revenge of the Sith, but is really kind of pulling on, I guess, like what the galaxy kind of looked like. Like if I'm putting it on a spectrum, right, it's leaning more towards the prequels than it is the original trilogy as far as Definitely. the things that people are talking about, the type of vernacular that they're using, the way that things look. And I don't know. I just think that's so cool. And it does feel it feels so familiar and it finally feels I don't know. It finally feels like, yeah, the prequels are kind of getting this new chance to shine um, in like live action TV on kind of the biggest stage. And at the time of recording, Obi-Wan Kenobi has had the highest debut rates of any show on Disney Plus. So it's just it's really exciting and I'm really loving it. The angst in this show is so real. It's so real. And for months. (laughs) months years even charlotte and i have been like we're signing up for the angst and yes i signed up for it but no i was not prepared for it and (laughs) um, i like i knew it was gonna be angsty but still my heart hurts which i knew it would but (laughs) it's uh it's it's yeah it's delivered on everything i've wanted it to so far i mean i got the hallucination hayden I <laughs> you got you got the hallucination, <laughs> the hallucination I can't I, I actually can't believe that to be honest because <laughs> I was really like that's not gonna happen there's no way and it fully happened I leapt up from the couch when I watched that the other day we were um I watched it pretty early in the morning on Wednesday and you didn't watch it until like 11 you were sick that day so you have like a, a better excuse. Um, yes. <laughs> but you didn't watch it until like 10, 30, 11, something like that. And I, it was like nothing else in the episode mattered. I just needed you to get to the part where there was ghost Hayden. <laughs> I was like, I just need her <laughs> to see this. Please, and the thing for about, the love of God. The thing about Hallucination Anakin is that Hallucination Anakin looked straight out of Revenge of the Sith. They so nailed everything about that. So Hayden great. really embodied that look again. And it was almost like they ripped some promotional image from Revenge of the Sith and put it right in this planet. But it wasn't. It was real. Hayden's back. Hayden's here. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's so great. But well, I mean, we'll talk more about uh, Hallucination Hayden later on, but I just needed to get that out in the beginning that it happened. I can leave this show happy. <laughs> also, I would say that I love the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Leia. And I think that it was a genius move to include her. And she's so good that it's just so perfect. And I like all the new characters. I don't know. I don't have like a negative thing to say about the show. I'm all in, fully in. Yeah, I I don't either. I think Leia is the perfect addition to this show. And I think, you know, in our interview with Ewan McGregor, he had kind of said something about the young actors. Yeah. (laughs) Plural. (laughs) I think think all of us were kind of on alert of, you know, I think we knew Luke was in it, obviously, to a certain extent from the trailer. Um, And I know there have been rumblings about Leia, but I don't think I ever would have expected her to be in this show in the capacity that she is. I just, Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool. And it reminds me of like the end of the Clone Wars of them talking about like the Siege of Mandalore being like within the Revenge of the Sith timeline and them talking about how you can't like we don't need to be precious with those timelines and in a way like we don't need to be precious with like Leia can only be in the original trilogy or in certain things and I know we've seen Leia in other things right like we've seen her in in Rebels um 
and in other like shows and books and stuff like that. But I don't know. It feels like really important to have her in this show as a young child, like this kind of completely new version of her that we haven't really been introduced to, at least not like this. And I don't know. I think it's perfect. And we talked a lot before Kenobi about what would be the thing that took Obi-Wan off of Tatooine. And of course it would be Leia. Of course it had to be Leia. And like, what else would it be? It's like, duh. <laughs> of course, it would only be her, this this other half of the twins. And I think we'll talk about this more throughout the series. But um, thinking about Obi-Wan not wanting to leave Luke and kind of sacrificing Leia, I think is a like in the first episode, is this huge thing to kind of deal with when it comes to his character. And it really reminded me of our like initial feelings on Luke and his choices with Ben in that were revealed in The Last Jedi, right? Of like, that's not the Luke that I know. And thinking about Obi-Wan being like, no, it's okay that Leia got kidnapped. I'm not going to do anything about it was kind of it was a hard pill to swallow yeah totally but his mind was so focused on Luke but that is so short-sighted about like his role as a Jedi which he doesn't really think of himself that way at all anymore really he buried that in the ground so I don't know one thing I want to add before we kind of dive into everything else also is I think the tone of the show is really spot on especially this episode was genuinely scary to me especially at several points from the truck like the glimpse of the the hand-painted Empire logo to um, Vader burning Obi-Wan alive and the darkness that all of that sort of... You said that so um, casually. Well, yeah, yeah, because it, it's so crazy. And then also Vader in, in the... Um, in the village, which I think was really scary. And the, the times that we've seen Vader in the past couple of years that we've explored this time period, we've always seen Vader in such a scary sense. This is someone who is so tormented and is bringing out those torments on others. And the more we see that, the more we understand how twisted Anakin has really become. And it's hard. It's a hard, what you you talk about a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. And the very fact that we get that redemption all the way at the end of Return of the Jedi, I mean, it makes all these moments. I don't know. I, I don't really know the right words for it beyond it's shocking because you know the man that's inside. And it also makes the ending even more, I don't know, more beautiful because of that that redemption that can happen and does happen. Yeah. And I think that they had a hard job in the show of like Hayden talked about this in our interview with him of like that imprisonment factor with uh, with Anakin yes. and Vader. And I think that Um, You know, in other iterations of Vader, I'm thinking like especially Rogue One, like I think people kind of point to that as the villain Vader, really. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that his actions here in Obi-Wan Kenobi are like to me much scarier than what we saw in Rogue One. But then in this show, we have those moments that that dialogue between Obi-Wan and Vader, you know, of what have you become, like what you made me. And like, you're going to suffer how you made me suffer. And there's that, I don't want to say sympathy, but there's that like, you can hear Anakin in that, I think of like, you should have, you should have killed me. Like you should have done it. So I didn't have to live like this. And that just like horrible anger that has 
turned itself completely over to the dark side in a horrible way. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. Okay, let's start at the very beginning of this episode with Obi-Wan calling out calling out for Qui-Gon because I think that we start the episode with Obi-Wan calling out for Qui-Gon and then we end the episode with Leia, Obi-Wan, and, well, Reva capturing Leia and then Obi-Wan being fully separate from them. You sort of, both ends of this uh, episode are in total despair. And so when we start with Obi-Wan calling out to Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon not answering, what do we think about that? And what do we think about Qui-Gon's inclusion in the show? I think it makes sense for Obi-Wan to be calling out to Qui-Gon. This is, I think, now the second time we've seen Obi-Wan in the show specifically call out to Qui-Gon. And especially, you know, we're picking up right where episode two left off. And he's just learned the most horrible thing, I think, that he could learn. And right, okay, I'm going to bring it up again. We talk about it a lot. But like Ryan Johnson in The Last Jedi, when he talks about like he wrote everyone down on a list and like what's the worst thing that could happen to that character. And for Obi-Wan, I think this is the worst thing that could happen. And I think there are so many parallels here to Empire Strikes Back in this episode and like that middle chapter, that darker middle chapter. Um, it's been a while since we've talked about a darker middle chapter. <laughs> but I think that this episode really uh, kind of falls into that pattern. If this is the middle of the series, right? Um, and there are a lot of similarities to other darker middle chapters. But Obi-Wan kind of reeling from this revelation of not only is Anakin alive, but he's actually Vader. And we read an interview earlier this week with the writers of the show that kind of talked about uh, how they they were curious about the question we're always asking, like, what does the galaxy know about Vader? What does Obi-Wan himself know about Vader? Like, all of that. And they're like, well, if it hasn't been, you know, concretely put down in canon, why not do it in our show? Why not really lean into that and get to see Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi react to finding out that Anakin is actually alive and is Darth Vader. Like, yeah, we should take advantage of that in our show, <laughs> which I think is, I, I liked reading that interview and like that thought process behind it. But in this like pivotal moment to kind of go back to Qui-Gon, of course he would be calling out to Qui-Gon because this is the person that started him on this journey with Anakin and is his master and someone who had a very different perspective on the force and of Anakin than he did initially. And so I think perhaps Obi-Wan is reaching out to Qui-Gon to get clarity, to get answers, to get advice um, because he started on this path because of Qui-Gon. So I'm sure there's that, like, you made me do this. And now look what happened. Look what's happened. What do I do? You know, I'm sure there's that component to it too. But in that like opening sequence with Obi-Wan calling out to Qui-Gon, we get another like great kind of flashback layering of voices, very similar to the first episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but then also to our favorite World Between Worlds. And I wrote down all of the quotes that we go through. And I think it's a really interesting layering that is worth kind of touching on here. Um, so first we start out with Obi-Wan saying, Master, are you there, Master? And then we have Reva who says, you didn't know he's alive, Obi-Wan. But like she says it very evilly. <laughs> and then uh, we have this great quote from Yoda of only pain will you find. And then Reva says, Obi-Wan again. 
And then Qui-Gon says, Obi-Wan, promise me you will train the boy. And then we have this quote from Anakin where he says, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Don't make me kill you. I do not fear the dark side. I see through the lies of the Jedi. And then we have Obi-Wan again in the present saying, help me, Master Qui-Gon. Give me strength. And then Reva saying, Anakin Skywalker is alive. He's been looking for you for a long time. And then Obi-Wan finishes up saying, he's coming, Master. And during this whole time, we've got these back and forth shots between Obi-Wan and then uh, Vader getting dressed, basically. So what did you think of this like whole chunk of dialogue? The chunk is good because it's very selective, <laughs> okay? And I'm really glad that you wrote them all out. Okay, what sticks out to me the most is the line, don't make me kill you. I think that it's interesting now upon rewatch knowing, obviously, okay, we know. The thing that's interesting about the show is that Vader doesn't die, Obi-Wan doesn't die, Leia doesn't die, and yet there's still high stakes, right? So what is interesting is the line don't make me kill you from revenge of the sith i think that darth vader sees coming in contact with obi-wan as a challenge to make obi-wan feel the same pain that obi-wan made him feel and there's a sense of revenge all he wants is revenge in this episode and i think that is so interesting because it's not anakin doesn't want to kill obi-wan right and i'm talking about anakin here not vader and I don't think Vader also wants to kill Obi-Wan. I think Vader wants to make Obi-Wan suffer. And if Vader is in a prison that is his suit that Obi-Wan put him in, then Vader wants to instill the same sense of imprisonment that that he possibly can on Obi-Wan. And I think for Obi-Wan, it's this acceptance about, okay, so now Obi-Wan is aware that Anakin is alive and that he's coming to terms with the fact that everything that he did on Mustafar to Anakin is the reason why he looks like that, why he's still in the galaxy, tormenting people, tearing apart a village like Obi-Wan witnessed. And I think that there's this sense of after this episode, are they going to be on equal footing again? Were they ever on equal footing? I mean, the whole high ground of it all, um, of Revenge of the Sith, sort of means that they weren't on ever on equal footing. So it was Anakin's whole quest to put them on equal footing again. I think that maybe, yes. And how does Obi-Wan deal with that? Because I think that Obi-Wan is suffering so much in this series and in this time period that, and I, I, I have to feel like Vader under, like realizes that Obi-Wan is suffering that much too. Maybe not to the same extent of like empathetically that we, the audience understand Obi-Wan is, is suffering from, but I do think that Vader's goal is to make Obi-Wan face the fact that this is what he has done, that Vader wants to make sure that Obi-Wan is very much aware of the suffering that he has instilled onto him. Just to tie it all back into this, this lines, the lines that are being said in the beginning with Qui-Gon, I think that all these things are going through Obi-Wan's brain about oh, he's alive, and then what does that mean, and where did we leave off? And I know I've talked about on the show a lot about where we left off and how that could possibly be haunting Obi-Wan, especially with things with Padme and everything. And I think that that is very much present in this episode. It's very clear that Padme is uh, haunting everything over this episode, that Obi-Wan even says that every time he looks at Leia, he he sees uh, her mother and things like that. I mean, I, I feel like we know that that's clearly about pa Padme and the promises that 
he made to her as well. So there's just a lot there. (laughs) And I, long story short, I think that they, that Vader wants to bring Obi-Wan to the same level that he is on in terms of suffering and make him stare at himself in the mirror. Yeah, I think so too. For Vader, the only thing right now that matters is making Obi-Wan suffer in a way that feels sufficient to him, that feels like it pays back everything that he believes Obi-Wan gave to him. And I think that it's interesting thinking about the fact that, right, like Padme's been brought up a couple of times in this show so far and as a ghost of to Obi-Wan in the same way that Anakin is. But we have that moment of you know, him saying that, you know, every time he looks at Luma, at Leia, he sees her mother. And the last thing that Padme says to Obi-Wan is there's still good in him. But now the first time that Obi-Wan sees Anakin, sees Vader after all this time is in the town and what he's doing to the townspeople. And that's such a contrast. And we talked a lot before this show about like how we would get Obi-Wan to the point where he, in a lot of ways, is not, you know, is telling Luke in A New Hope and an empire to kill his father. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that we're kind of seeing that be built here because if you're, you know, you think about Obi-Wan on that track with Leia and he's like thinking, has had the, the most horrible realization or truth be told to him about Anakin. And then he's thinking of Padme and Padme's, you know, there's still good in him. And, you know, I wonder if he wavered and then you see truly what Anakin has become and the things that he's doing to the townspeople and that all he cares about is making Obi-Wan suffer. It's not even about killing Obi-Wan. It's not even about capturing him really. It's just about making him suffer. And wow. (laughs) Um, That's gotta be, like that's a lot to wrestle with for Obi-Wan and what redemption, if redemption is ever even in his mind after that point and whatever happens by the end of the series. The line that really stood out to me in that kind of opening flashback sequence um, is Yoda's line of only pain will you find. And this is a scene that I've come to really think about a lot uh, since our like most recent marathon, our nesting marathon of all the Star Wars films, but in Revenge of the Sith, when Yoda shows Obi-Wan the the security hollows of Anakin killing younglings and basically asks, like, tells him not to watch it. And Obi-Wan says, I have to. And Yoda says, only pain will you find. And after they get that confirmation of, yes, it is, and back to Anakin who did these things, who has turned to the dark side, Yoda sent, still sends Obi-Wan to kill Anakin, even though Obi-Wan like begs him not to do it and says basically, you know, I, I love him. I can't, you can't ask me to kill him. And Yoda is like, it's gotta be you. (laughs) And like how awful that scene is like that scene has really kind of, I don't know. I've seen it in a new light in the past couple years of just how tragic Obi-Wan's story is that his master and mentor would send him to kill someone that he is very clearly attached to and loves and like how hard that must have been. And and then in the end, Obi-Wan couldn't do it. And then because of those actions, he is where he is now. And he's about to learn the, the truth of everything that Anakin has become. And 
Anakin blaming Obi-Wan, Vader. I feel like it's going to be hard for us to go back and forth between like Anakin and Vader. <laughs> uh, just for the for like simplicity's sake, if we say Anakin or Vader, we actually mean the same person because we think about them as the same person. We right? do. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And I, I think unless otherwise stated, we're not talking about Anakin as like good the good yeah yeah, yeah exactly Ho- hopefully it'll be clear if we're talking about like anakin yeah. the jedi and like memories of clone wars that kind of or like right. attack of the clones five um <laughs> yeah i think that line of only pain will you find uh much like how we wish we could ask dave filoni about his dialogue choices in world between worlds i would love to ask deborah chow or the writers about their dialogue choices here in this instance because yeah I think I think it's a really good selection of having you know only specifically like Yoda of only pain will you find and then followed up with Qui-Gon Qui-Gon's death basically of him telling asking Obi-Wan to promise him that he'll train Anakin both of those moments led Obi-Wan down this path um, to Anakin on Mustafar and then to, you know, training Anakin in general. I love the line later that happens, what have you become? And Vader answering back, I am what you made me. That line, it feels like I could be wrong about this, but it feels like that I am what is Hayden's voice mixed with James Earl Jones, which (laughs) feels uh, really interesting to me because that's something that happened in Rebels as well. And I want that to continue to happen if that if we're right about that. I, I love the whole the line, I am what you made me, because it puts the burden on Obi-Wan in such a big way. And I think that's what we're trying to say here, right? Like I think the show is is basically like rubbing Obi-Wan's face in the mud of all the things that he did wrong that got to this point. We're sympathetic to all of these things because we know how many things were working against all of the Jedi during the fall of the Republic and everything. And then also when it comes down to it, these two friends, two brothers who one betrayed the other and the other didn't support the other one um, in the ways that they needed. And it's just tragic. So I, and I think that it's, it's so, it's so tragic. And I think that just the concept of the line, I am what you made me it's clear that that is what Vader is holding too. Like he is only blaming Obi-Wan. He's not blaming anyone else, even though he has so many other people, including himself to blame. I think he does blame himself to a certain extent, but I think that he has in this moment, especially I think he really does number one blame Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And he can take it out on Obi-Wan. There's nothing left to take out on himself. Like he's lost everything, like all of his limbs, his autonomy, like, everything right the person he can take it out on is obi-wan and yeah i think i don't know if i was expecting them to have this lightsaber battle here in this episode we're kind of you know it's been marketed as the showdown of the century i I don't think this was the showdown of the century. i don't think this was the showdown no no, no. i think we'll see it again right i think we'll see them come together again but i think this was so important to establish how Vader sees Obi-Wan as the person to blame and how I think we've seen that that is how Obi-Wan has seen himself. Um, And that now, especially like even before he learned the truth that Anakin was still alive, but now that he really knows and hearing Vader say those things to him 
ouch, like there's, there's, I don't know, like I am what you made me. That's, that's Obi-Wan's worst fear, right? That's everything that he never wanted. And it's like, it's going to be so hard, I think, for him to shake that guilt and very much like how Vader wants Obi-Wan to suffer. And I think ultimately to kill Obi-Wan, but to make him suffer or imprison him in a, a similar way that I would imagine ultimately leads to death. Um, however prolonged that might be in like Vader's perfect plan. Um, I think that Obi-Wan would also want to kill Vader to put this to rest to, um, you know, like it's almost similar to what Ahsoka says to Vader in Rebels of I'll avenge his death. And she means killing Vader. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think we can see Obi-Wan kind of take a similar mentality to that, yeah. to Ahsoka. Um, I think that would make a lot of sense for him, especially. One more thing about the line, I am what you made me. I think it's a really good line because we know how far Vader has come and what he looks like now and who he has, who he is as a Sith at this point. But in any other context, I am what you made me could actually be a positive line from a mentor to a, like a mentee to a mentor. Yeah. And I think that of course now it is so twisted because the very person who's saying it is so twisted and evil, like Obi-Wan says. So it's, it's, it's a good line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a good point. It's like someone out there does, he has a a line like that in Revenge of the Sith, doesn't he? Anakin to Obi-Wan. Um, it's all, when they're it's saying like, goodbye, you mean? Yeah, it's like it's all because of your training. It's, it's similar in right. vain yeah. to this conversation. Yeah, well, well, Obi-Wan says, you've become very strong and wise, and I'm very proud of you. And Anakin says, it's all because of your training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But now we have this. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> now we have this. Now we have this. <laughs> I did. um, We touched on this at the beginning of the show, but this whole back half between Obi-Wan and Vader is very reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back from the color palette to the way that Obi-Wan is running away from Vader and like kind of those shots of him like scared and waiting for Vader or like wondering where Vader is. Um, to even like the smoke effects and the fact that they're on a mining planet, very much like Bespin. It's just, it's, it's very similar on purpose. <laughs> and I think it works really well to have this kind of parallel between uh, Obi-Wan and Luke and Vader and Vader. Um, totally. Empire Strikes Back. It's also a moment of revealing for, for Obi-Wan in a sense. Like mm-hmm. we can't forget about that. This is the first time he's seen the suit as well. Yeah. So on this planet, like as in, if we compare it to Empire Strikes Back, the reveal for Luke is that Vader is his father. For here, it's what exactly has become of of Anakin after he left him in Mustafar, and that reveal is all built into it as well. I think it's purposely supposed to be very similar to um, Bespin. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. One thing I was kind of thinking about on the second or third watch of this episode is that also in Empire Strikes Back and here in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, Leia is the bait. And it's what pulls Obi-Wan off of Tatooine and Leia and Han. And really Leia is what pulls Luke off of Dagobah. So I think that's an interesting parallel too when we're kind of 
thinking about like the writers and how they're kind of creating and arcing this whole story and specific Mm -hmm. things that they want to that they want to draw parallels to and how they can weave those in I think that's an interesting one and further kind of explores the choice to make it about Leia and why Obi-Wan would leave Tatooine Mm -hmm. it's the same it's the only thing that would have gotten Luke to leave Dagobah and so again it makes sense that this is the thing that would get Obi-Wan to leave Tatooine is also for Leia yeah that's a really good point Let's talk about Leia in this episode and Obi-Wan and Leia in that relationship. Because I think one of the best parts about this entire episode was when Leia was asking about the Force. I can never get enough when anyone asks about like what the Force is or how does it work or anything like that. And the moment she said that, I was like, this is going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> and so when Obi-Wan asks Leia, like, has she ever been afraid of the dark? And she said yes. And then Obi-Wan says the Force is like turning on the light. And I really, really loved this, especially in conversation with the High Republic and how in the High Republic books, there's a big thing about how everyone sees and feels the Force differently. So I think this is a pretty clear example of how Obi-Wan sees the Force within him, in himself. So like in the High Republic, you get people thinking about the Force as a song or um, different wavelengths and things like that, an an ocean. There's all these different ways and it is always so beautiful. And I really liked this description from Obi-Wan. And I think if we wanted to frame the light in the dark and the turning on the light equals safety in this sentence, then the dark side or living without the force is living in fear. And I think it's pretty clear that Obi-Wan for the past 10 years has been living without the force and therefore has been living in fear. And now he's back with the force, I guess. And he's sort of living in it. I don't know. I I, I think things are changing for him. (laughs) You could say that. But um, it made me sad to think that Obi-Wan had been living in complete fear for the past 10 years. And I think that by his nightmares and the way that he has just become really gruff and rejecting of his Jedi values uh, is is pretty indicative of the fact that he's been living in the dark in not the sense of the dark side, but in this metaphor sense, I think. Yeah. And I, I don't even think that it's similar to, to the way that Luke kind of turned off the force. I think it's something different with Obi-Wan feels a little different. I don't know if it's Luke's seems more intense. Yeah. Yeah. Luke's seems like the fact that no one could find him or like sense him in the force seems pretty intense. But I think that, I don't know. I just think that Obi-Wan hasn't turned on the light. If I'm going to use that metaphor, whereas Luke like cut the power. If totally. that makes sense. Like they're different, right? Like you can turn off the electricity on your house or you can just have the light switch off. And I think that yeah. Obi-Wan has been living with the light switch off. And yeah, yeah. Like you, I I loved that description. I thought it was super cute and like a great way to describe the force and like the light side of the force as like good and comforting and I don't know, like revealing too, in a way. One thing I wanted to also talk about is I really liked the way that Obi-Wan snaps at Leia and says, people aren't all, are not all good, Leia. It was abrupt for him to say that, I think. Like as an audience member, you're like, whoa, okay, that's a lot. But I thought that the line was really good and really well delivered because 
in the end, we find out that Leia was actually right, <laughs> that if they had waited a little bit longer, then they would have been rescued and helped. But um, of course, like in this mindset, Obi-Wan really does think that people are not all good, that most people, I think that he thinks his worldview is really negative right now. And of course, like the the mind of a child doesn't necessarily think that. And of course that's sort of naive, but it's also wonderful. So I, I really liked this, this point of view and how Leia was proven right later, even though Obi-Wan is right, that people aren't all good and that people really do have agendas that are evil and not, not good for them. I also think that there's so many things that are so exact in this show that just are worth mentioning. Um, I think that Leia's outfits have been so reminiscent of uh, different outfits that adult Leia has in the original trilogy, which is really cool. And it just works out perfectly, I think. But one thing I think is so great is when her her braid falls from her, her the crown on her head, it looks like a Padawan braid. And I think this is really interesting because we're here, we're seeing Obi-Wan with a child who's around the same age as Anakin was when he became Obi-Wan's Padawan. And this push and pull of here I am with this child that I have been tasked to take care of. And it feels like the galaxy depends on it. That is also true for how Anakin became Obi-Wan's Padawan. And now it is true for Leia here as well. And I don't know, I just really like it. I think that there's all these great parallels that are happening and this sort of like begrudging helpfulness that Obi-Wan is dealing with. Also, her fake name is Luma, which reminds me of Luminous, which then also reminds me of Light, which makes me think of Luke. Luma sounds like Luke to me, and Luke also means light. So I just like this constant sense of parallelism between both the twins and uh, just just in general, honestly. I think that, again, I feel like everything is so exact and so well thought out, especially when it comes to Leia and these relationships. So there's so many echoes of the way that it can pull on all of our heartstrings if we think too much about it, which of course we will. I think this show has also done a good job of like connecting um, and perhaps even like emphasizing some of Leia's own like force abilities and even like talking about like her, her memory of her mother in Return of the Jedi. I think that's something people point to a lot of like she was a baby and then it's like, oh, well, her eyes were open in Revenge of the Sith and it's like, okay. But then, you know, in this show, we get to hear Obi-Wan say that he himself still has glimpses of his mother and father and even of a baby brother, perhaps. Um, and then, of course, we have when Leia asks Obi-Wan, you know, are you my real father? And we know that Obi-Wan and Padme were like Obi-Wan was there when Luke and Leia were born. So if Leia has flashes of Padme, then she probably also has, you know, glimpses of Obi-Wan too. So I don't know. I think it's a good way to kind of talk about those moments and kind of thread this larger story of Leia. And I would attribute those moments to like her force abilities, honestly. So I think it's good that they like brought that in because it's not mm -hmm. just about um, like, quote unquote, explaining away how Leia has memories of her mother when she was like an you know a, literally a newborn it's not about like having a reason 
for that to make sense because we've all kind of accepted that since, you know, 2005. But it like gives us opportunity for them to have a conversation. And um, we know from the first episode that Leia was teased basically about being adopted. And so for it's like, so we know that she has doubts about that or that something she's thinking about and something that she's conscious of. So for her to then ask Obi-Wan about it later on, are you my real father? Not only does it kind of tie in this like very kind of surface level canon thing of Leia having glimpses of her mother, but it connects to Leia's overall story of having questions about where she came from in the same way that Luke does too. And so I think that it was a good, like more than the Return of the Jedi connection, it was a good opportunity to explore Leia's character development and how she feels growing up, you know, as an adopted child. Totally. I also think the line, sometimes I try to picture him, is really interesting. And I think that goes along with what you said about how, yeah, Obi-Wan was there when they were born, which is so interesting. And I think that definitely does play into her memories. I really want to see some sort of sense. Like my dream would be like Obi-Wan showing memories of Padme to Leia somehow, like through the force or something. I don't know, magic of some sort. But I still, uh, I, I think that's all really interesting. And I think that it's also interesting that she says that I try to picture him. And then perhaps like at the end of this episode, maybe Leia will meet Vader in some sense. Like, I don't know. She already has in a, the original trilogy. So uh, yeah, will. maybe, yeah, she will. <laughs> I wanted to mention that Obi-Wan mentioning that he has a brother, I think was a call out to one of the early, early, early drafts of Star Wars where Obi-Wan and Owen Lars were brothers and it was a whole thing. And perhaps that was the sort of behind the scenes Easter egg. But at the same time, Obi-Wan having this empty emptiness of feeling like he has a brother somewhere makes me think of his relationship with Anakin actually and how if this like missing brother was a hole in in Obi-Wan's heart then that Anakin filled and now Anakin is not that brother anymore is that that hole is now empty again I definitely think there was a sense of you trying to picture Obi-Wan with a brother and like what that would have been like had he not chosen the Jedi or anything but at the same time you can think about how Anakin was that that brother for Obi-Wan, he says that on Mustafar and how that is so devastating for him and like sort of the impetus of this entire series, right? So that addition isn't just an Easter egg or isn't just a random throwaway thing. I think that it really is supposed to make us think like, oh, oh my gosh, like there's this, there's this missing piece of Obi-Wan that he's been trying to fill that has been haunting him for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing I've been thinking about when it comes to Obi-Wan and Leia's relationship, and now that Obi-Wan has kind of started talking about the Force with Leia, is I wonder if Obi-Wan will tell Leia something about what it means to pass on through the Force. If, if again, I'm thinking about like how they react to each other in A New Hope, Right. And we talked about this in, in our live show, but like how Leia is the one comforting Luke when mm-hmm. Obi-Wan dies, when Ben dies. And I don't like, I don't know, I don't want to come across that like I need all of these things to line up perfectly. Like right. I don't, I don't need Obi-Wan Kenobi the show to, to do that. It's like explain Leia's glimpses of her mother or like why 
Leia isn't as sad as Luke is in A New Hope. I don't need the show to do that. Same. But I think it's interesting to think about if they do, because I think they've done the thing with Return of the Jedi and her mother, like, really well. And like I said, it's, like, brought about this character moment for Leia and, like, how she views her childhood and perhaps something that she's insecure about. Like, I think that's really well done. And now that they've started talking about the Force, I wonder if there will be something that Obi-Wan imparts to Leia about passing on through the Force that maybe she takes with her into a new hope or like past a new hope, really, I mean. At this point, Obi-Wan doesn't know anything about what it means to disappear into the Force, right? Like he's still, he wanting he's wanting to learn that from Qui-Gon and that's a struggle in the show. So I think you could be onto something, but maybe Leia is bearing witness to the fact that Obi-Wan, I mean, that Qui-Gon is able to speak and commune with Obi-Wan in that sense and teach him how to pass on to the netherworld of the force because yeah. before this like no one is disappearing when they die they're just burned like jedi are burned at, at, at on like a pyre yeah. right yeah and their bodies don't pass on to the next next pa- place in the mm-hmm. in the cosmic force right so obi-wan doesn't know that at least that's what we're supposed to uh, at least that's what I'm taking away from this is that Qui-Gon has not taught him that because he's not been able to contact Qui-Gon or Qui-Gon isn't answering. So it's very possible that Leia could witness that sort of understanding from Obi-Wan just at the same time as Obi-Wan is learning it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could be really interesting and her like understanding of the force or what she does think about it through everything that she's kind of going through right now. And of course, not to mention that She's now with Reva. Um, she's not currently with Obi-Wan. So yeah, what, yikes, yikes. Right? Like what things <laughs> is Reva going to tell Leia? I can't imagine she's just going to like not talk to her. I I would love to see Leia get in some zingers to Reva, quite honestly. <laughs> and I think she will. <laughs> would be so good. I also, before we move on to talk about like Reva and the Inquisitors and things like that, I want to spend a few minutes talking about Ned B and the like the droid aspect of this show. I mentioned this on our live show, but I just think that things are handled so well in this show, especially the concept of droids and Leia just being so kind to droids. And Ned B was like a really good example. I loved this droid. I think they did such a good job with the fact that the droid wasn't programmed to speak and express like emotions that way. But then Later, Tala says some people, I forget what the line is, we didn't write it down, but the the concept of they express themselves in other ways and yeah. Ned B was like a great protector droid. I don't know, it just really warmed my heart. And it's just constantly so nice to see Leia so kind to droids and how so many people look the other way and look the other direction to droids and see them as as so much lesser than themselves. Um, and Leia doesn't. Leia sees them as equal and friends and people to have conversations with. It's just great. Yeah, I agree. It was a really great scene. I think I think Tala says actions speak louder than words, something like that. And then Leia, I can't remember if it was before or after that line, but she's, oh, Tala says they're not allowed to communicate. And Leia says, but what if he has something to say? And yeah. I just thought that was super cute. And yeah, I, I kind of, and like the droid wanted to protect, I think, like I would say specifically Leia after mm-hmm. that. Like he's really in it for her. But yeah, then he, totally. he, sh- he shows up in the end too with, to, to help Obi-Wan. 
at the end yeah. as well. So I don't know. I yeah, I do like this like continuation of Leia and her um, relationship with droids and just how she initially treats people. But how is she? She's not naive and like, right, she's a child. So she has a certain view of the world that is being changed through this experience. Like, I think like Obi-Wan tells her something she'll take away from this is not all people are good. And we kind of even see this in A New Hope with her reaction to Han. Like, if money's all you care about, you'll have plenty of it or whatever she says, right? Like, she's not naive, naive enough to be like, Han, I think you have a heart of gold, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? But just seeing her reaction to the droids and how she is so like willing to strike up a conversation and be friends with people and ask questions too. I don't know. I really like her characterization in this show and I think they've done such a spectacular job um, with it. Yeah, totally. I also, I really like the conversation that she has with Tala when she asks, um, is it scary having to pretend? And then Tala answers back, yeah, it is sometimes, but it's worth it if I can help people. I think this is totally a glimpse into Leia's future, obviously. We know this as an audience member, right? Like Leia does, there's a little bit of a struggle here for Leia's character as someone who is going to become a senator. I think that in the first two episodes, it was like, what if I don't want to do that? I don't want to do that. That's boring, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And then later with her, like when she does become a senator, she will become a double agent for the rebellion and risk so much to be a part of the rebellion, as we see, especially in the beginning of A New Hope. So I like this concept of her exploring the concept of playing pretend, but understanding that it's worth it, that it's it's worth the risk. I think it's funny that she does ask Tala that, even though like an hour before she was so ready with a lie about who her and Obi-Wan were. She was like, this is my father. My name's Luma. I think his name is Orden. We're from Tall. And like, da-da-da-da-da. And she like... <laughs> just she like, really went for it. She, she was not scared to pretend then. Um, obviously, I think she didn't really have a full understanding of the situation. But I just think it's funny that she was... When Obi-Wan was like, oh, we just need directions. And she's like, father, we've been walking long enough <laughs> just like hopped into the cab <laughs> of the truck <laughs> yeah but I think that that was even a moment of naivete for her that she realized that that was a real dangerous situation that she actually kind of put them in yeah right? I don't think she realized it until later yeah yeah and so I think this moment of is it scary to play pretend yeah because her playing pretend just ended up being scary mm -hmm, true. like really scary and uh a, a big thing so how can you keep going on and doing this and playing pretend constantly? I mean, she doesn't know that her parents are part of the rebellion, that Bale is part of that, even though Obi-Wan does explain to her that Bale is like one of the good ones in, in the Empire trying to fight for what's right. I think that perspective is also really good and something that was included in this show in a way that I wasn't expecting. I think it's easy to forget that Bale wasn't just like someone who was working in the rebellion like full time, right? He was still a senator and still someone who was representing Alderaan. And that meant being a part of the empire and putting on a, like a, a good face for the empire. And that's so dangerous and so scary. And especially when Leia's his daughter. So I, I don't know. I think that it's, it was an interesting reminder for me that like, oh yeah, Bale is part of the empire and he's like part of that inner workings and that's why it's important for Leia also to be part of that to like change things from the inside even though that doesn't actually happen but she is able to play like a double agent basically later yeah yeah one last thing on Leia before we kind of move on um 
I love the moment where she did kind of have a little bit of a breakdown about wanting to go home um, when they're outside the safe house. One, of course, it's specific that she said, I want to go home and not I miss my mom and dad, right? Because we all know what becomes of Alderaan in the future. But I don't know. I just thought it was a great to finally see her, like her emotions catch up with her because she has been through so much and she's so young and she has really held her own, but she is still just a child. And I'm glad that they kind of at least had this brief moment of her to be sad and scared and say, I want to go home. Um, I'm really glad that they included that. Totally. Me too. So while we're kind of here at this juncture in the episode, I think we should talk about the safe house, uh, safe houses and the path. This was such a cool thing. We finally saw where that Jedi symbol was kind of etched into the wall. And not only is it the Jedi symbol, but it's a lot of things that have been etched into the wall. Importantly, Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss is alive (laughs) and he's He's alive he's alive and he's doing things helping younglings and i thought this was such a great kind of one i think that this whole concept of the path opens up so many future stories which i think is really Mm -hmm. exciting actually but second i think it was a great kind of use of a space to show obi-wan that there are people out in the galaxy doing good things that are not hiding away in fear because I think part of this whole show is not only about Obi-Wan really committing to his purpose of protecting Luke but I think perhaps at the end of this we'll see Obi-Wan figure out a way to help people from Tatooine even if like he becomes like if it's worth the risk for him to become like a safe house. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we see some see something like that happen um, because I think he was kind of shocked. Like when Tala says, you're not the first Jedi that's come through here. I think that's really shocking to him because like he's been living in fear and to him the Inquisitors hunt down all Jedi. And we even hear the stormtroopers on the truck say, you know, if there's a Jedi, don't worry, we'll get him like we do all of them, you know. But then to hear that not only is someone like Quinlan Voss, but other Jedi are out there helping people find a better place in the galaxy and and like helping Force-sensitive younglings even. And we also kind of get this glimpse that, yeah, the Empire also takes Force-sensitive younglings and like no one knows what happens to them. I don't know. I think there were a lot of things laid out in this space in this safe house in this couple of minutes right in the episode that I think are really important not only for future storytelling opportunities but also for Obi-Wan to see that there are a lot of ways that he can help um, out you know the quote-unquote cause and I think even hearing from Tala that Tala had like joined the Empire initially and then had realized that it wasn't doing the thing that she thought it was going to do and leaving and kind of working along the path and helping people like Obi-Wan and Leia as kind of not making up for it, but in a way making up for it and like trying to rectify some of the harm that she feels she might have been responsible for during her time in the Empire. And I think that it's important for Obi-Wan to hear that because Obi-Wan is so like racked with guilt about like he him bringing this upon the galaxy that it's kind of immobilized him or I think it will 
too, in a way. So for him to see that he can actually push past that and continue to do good things for the galaxy, I think is important. Yeah, it couldn't be more obvious to me. I think we say this all the time on the show about how you can always change your path and go on yeah. a different one. And then, of course, like Tala's changes her own path to go help the literal capital T, capital P, the path. Yeah. I think that yeah. is, it couldn't be clearer that like you can change your way even if you get, if you start off on the wrong foot and once you realize that, you know, you're not doing good, then you can change that. And that's one of my favorite lessons of all in Star Wars is you can always change. And it's pretty clear that Tala did. And I loved that. I really, really loved this too. I thought, that, first off, I think the the visuals of it are really cool. Like this uh, carpeted room with all these different like pieces of graffiti and like etchings and things like that. And I know that there are people online right now scouring to see what other names they can read because it's not just Quinlan. I know that there's so many different things. I think I saw someone find For Light in Life, which is from the High Republic on the wall. So cool. I love this kind of stuff. I think it's so neat. And you know that that room is just chock full of so many references that we haven't even caught yet. I wonder if we'll get another glimpse at it because it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I really like the concept of the safe houses though. I think that it's pretty, it makes sense of this for, to be a thing, but now there's like a name and that the, they all lead to Jabim, which I think is really interesting too. Like, are we going to see that planet in the future? I also think it's worth noting right now that we've seen everything in the trailers so far. So like the rest of the series is like a wild card <laughs> for us. So um, what else are we going to get? Who knows? And I hope we get some weird forcey stuff. But um, since now we're talking about the path and people getting on the path, I think there was like a little bit of a confusing break within the show about, okay, so how did Riva get on the path and how did Tala get off the path? Basically, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like the tunnels. <laughs> it was a little confusing. And I think that I also had a moment of, wow, I'm a little confused about what was happening outside when Obi-Wan like turned a corner away from Vader. I was like, wait, where are we at? the the atmosphere like wasn't as distinct as I would have liked I guess of like oh he turned but I don't know where we are yeah. anyway that's just a that's like my literal one complaint is like the staging and the editing I was like I'm confused well it's like they but, just like needed to switch two clips of Riva and yeah. Tala to show that she had gotten out and then Riva, Riva came in uh, but then they were they were kind of it's like they were flip-flops <laughs> yeah yeah and it like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things like who cares but I yeah, for that I was a little confused. And anyway, Reva is an interesting character. First off, I really love Reva as a character, and I think it's pretty clear that she is not a rule follower. If we can define her as someone, I think that she has like strayed far from the rules uh, that the rest of the Inquisitors are following, and it has served her well to an extent, right? Like she keeps finding the right clues in order to bring her to Obi-Wan and get those Vader points eventually, <laughs> even if everyone else in her team kind of hate her, yeah. which I really like this sort of infighting that is happening between the Inquisitors. And I wonder what's going to happen between them and Riva eventually. Like, because I think that Riva should be rewarded <laughs> from Vader for getting so close. Like she's consistently right. And uh, the rest of her, her squad like doesn't really see that. And, we even see them trying to lay claim to her her own successes. Even with Fifth Brother, it's there's this push and pull, I guess, of him trying to take credit for Riva. And like when she tries to sit in the seat, he's like, "That's my seat," or "That's that seat is rightfully mine." Blah 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 blah. Right? Like there's this sense of infighting, and I just wonder how it's going to all come down because 
I don't know. I think that they're all so ruthless and they all have something to gain, but it seems like Reva's working the hardest. (laughs) So um, I think that there's a sense that we've talked about with the fact that the show kind of opened with a bunch of younglings and we still haven't gotten answers over whether or not that was Reva with those younglings during Order 66. And I just think there's a history there of her feeling betrayed by Jedi or her feeling betrayed specifically by Obi-Wan Kenobi. And there's a lot there, I think, to unpack. And I think we'll get that. But eventually, I really wonder what her fate is going to be. I do think that she's like a really worthy villain as well, because she's always there, right? Like Vader is a villain who, when he shows up, the entire town is um, is ransacked, right? And it's pure fear. But with Riva, you just like, she's so impulsive. You never know what's going to happen. And what You never know when she's going to show up. And when she does show up, bad things happen and she's just so like quick and not perfect in the sense that uh vader is like vader is very much like i am doing this because this is the this is the gain that i wish to receive right yeah and i think with with reva she doesn't even think she just goes for it and that's sort of respectable because i think that for the rest of the inquisitors you see that they're kind of like slow and they're not really getting the their answers that they need to get but um yeah, I just think it's Reva's a really interesting character. And I wonder what her future holds. Like, I do wonder if there's a sense of, like, will she seek, like, a sort of redemption? Will she, uh, f- if she has a Jedi past, like, would she ever be interested in revisiting that again? And what would that entail? Like, why does she feel so wronged? And how can we make that right, basically? Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting path for her. I would like to see it. Um, I'd be surprised if she wasn't one of the younglings that we see in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. It just hasn't really like been super confirmed to us. So I no, just no, didn't. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to like say yes, that's her, but I would be surprised if she wasn't there, especially considering she yeah. has that like emotional reaction to the Jedi symbol on the wall in the safe house. I think they're drawing that connection there too. So I would be surprised, and it kind of made when you were talking about. Like her feeling betrayed, assuming that she's one of the Je- the younglings at the beginning of the show, of her feeling a betrayal from the Jedi or specifically Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now that she has Leia, I wonder if she will tell Leia like her story of, oh, you think this is a good person. You think Obi-Wan is there to protect you or to save you. Well, he's not because he didn't save me. Uh, he didn't protect me when I was young. So I think that could be an interesting way if like that is her story to like an interesting moment for her to tell it. Yeah. And it's just kind of a a theory I was thinking about when you were talking. But yeah, I think that if it is revenge, like ultimately thinking about Reva's motivation, is it revenge against the Jedi and or Obi-Wan Kenobi specifically? Is it to be the Grand Inquisitor? I think it could be both. I think they did a really interesting thing with her figuring out this connection between Anakin, Vader, and Obi-Wan through the archives. I think there's more to tell there. I wonder if she'll get suspicious about who Leia is. We know that Padme, it was told to the world that Padme died pregnant, but I wonder if Reva believes that. You know, I just think there's a lot of things that Reva is aware of in the galaxy that someone like Fifth Brother, I don't actually think is and yeah I said this before at what point will that come to bite her in 
the butt. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I wonder how much else she actually knows. And I think that's really interesting when you do have characters who, you know, get to convey information um, and kind of know things that others don't. And I think Reba finding out this connection between Anakin and Obi-Wan and using it to her advantage, even finding out that a connection between like Obi-Wan and Bale to the point that she would kidnap Leia, I think is really interesting. And we haven't really quite fleshed that out entirely. Um, totally. I don't know. I think there's a lot of interesting things with her character and where she ultimately will end up. If it is Grand Inquisitor, if she makes it through the end of the series, or if she like if we see a callous moment for Reva and she becomes like I don't know I I can also see a situation where Leia is like talking to her about like turning on the light of the force and like Mm -hmm. being comforted Mm -hmm. again and like what if that does happen for Reva I think that'd be really cool to see that too so I think there are just so many possibilities for her character and having what I assume is this connection to the Jedi as a youngling is a good choice like it Right. It gives her a lot more depth, I think, than we've seen, like having her be the main Inquisitor character that we're kind of following through this show, um, I think has been really interesting. And I'm super excited to see where her character goes. Like there are so many things on the table for her, I think. Totally. Okay. Before we sort of wrap up, I don't think we lent enough credence to the fact that we got hallucinated Anakin in the show. Thank you. I don't think we just talked, we didn't talk about it enough. This was Caitlin's theory from like, I swear to God, 2018. Mm-hmm. You've been talking about this for so long. We don't get hallucinations when it comes to Star Wars. We don't get stuff like that. We get weird ghosts. We get like force caves and things like that, but never a hallucination right in the middle of Southern Joshua California. Tree National Park. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the most California set we've ever gotten. Aside from um, when uh, that episode in, of The Mandalorian, the Mandalorian. Yeah. that was also the most California. Yeah. If I could, again, that's another complaint that I have. Like, actually, I think the set was fine, but it really is so California. Yeah. Where yeah. It, it feels very California. It's fine with a capital F. Like, yeah. I'll take it. Like, I, I do yeah, like yeah. that Obi-Wan had this whole spiel of like, there used to be farms and like it used to look yeah, so yeah, different. Same. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm like, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anyway, moving we're we're moving past that and we're solely focusing on hallucination Obi-Wan. I mean, whoa, hallucination Anakin. Yeah. I think uh wow, that was so cool. And it just it makes perfect sense. Like it always was going to make sense if it made if it was in the show. <laughs> because of course Obi-Wan is haunted by Anakin, especially the Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. Like I said in the beginning of the show, it's like literally like they copy pasted him from Revenge of the Sith. I swear. Like I need to know if that's the same robe that they used in Revenge of the Sith because mm. it is perfect. It's so exact. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking earlier today. The fact that Padme has been brought up so many a couple of things. One is that we ended this episode with an unconscious Obi-Wan. And so I saw some people talking about this online about how now there's possibility that Obi-Wan has to go into like a back to tank of his own. We've already had experience with someone like Boba Fett having pretty intense memories and flashbacks. The flashback does. If you listen to our book of Boba Fett uh, recaps. So this is something that has already been established and Obi-Wan has already seen one hallucination 
now. I want, and we've seen him have nightmares of the past. We need with, more. We need exactly. more. Yeah. So the, all that to say, <laughs> in a long rambling way, are we going to see more? And are we going to see a uh, Padme flashback? Okay. So number one, I think we will see more. I don't know if Padme will be included. Okay. I think she's included. Think that- the question for me is if it's like Natalie Portman circa 2021. Oh my god! Um, I, again, I can't even think about that. The only thing that I can think about is I'm like satisfied with the Revenge of the Sith flashbacks that Obi Wan like dreams about with Padme in them. <laughs> it is so crazy to the have a show that references Padme this much. I know the bar is so low. The bar is in hell, and I just think that it's like <laughs> that's how satisfying. Like the fact that it was so overwhelming to me to get cam rips of. Revenge of the Sith in oh this show <laughs> is like movie, just like clip. I know it was, but it really was so satisfying to me. So, like, if there's any sort of anything addition, like that would be the craziest thing that could possibly happen in a show for me. Yeah, like no joke. But I do think that because this hallucination was so quick, so unexplained, that it really makes sense for us to have another one that is more substantial, that is like perhaps even creepier. Because this one wasn't that creepy, but it could be like something that is is like speaks. I think that we'll, we we will get a speaking situation, you know, so because it was so fast, right? Like you can't so just have fast. one of those and then just never return to that. Yeah. It, it makes sense for them to continue that, especially now it's a motif, right? Now it's a motif. Oh, my God. <laughs> a motif hallucination. Yes. And we've also had established dreams, too. So it's both, Caitlin. It's both. And then potentially we're going to get flashbacks, too. Like, we could get all. We could we get all. all. <laughs> we could have it all. Home run. The show could give it all of it. <laughs> so funny. I kind of don't know what I would want more of, like, either a talking Revenge of the Sith, like, to see that hallucination, like, say something creepy to Obi-Wan or if I would rather have, like, a memory of, like, Obi-Wan having a memory of him and Anakin, like, joking around, and it's, like, new footage. Like, it's not just something pulled. Why not both? I- Why not both? <laughs> we- oh, run! <laughs> <laughs> you're not thinking big enough here, Kayla. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Just I'm, like, I'm like you with, like, the, the Padme flashback. I'm like, I got the one ghost. I'm good. Yeah. It happened. <laughs> gotta reel it in. <laughs> Like, gotta the thing, okay. <laughs> the thing about your thing is that it has been established now. Yeah. Okay, it's here. Padme's the, been established the Padme too. of it all, Caitlin. It's just I don't even. I know, know. I know, I know. But like, I'd feel differently if she showed up to that Attack of the Clones. <laughs> 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 but now I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, the thing that's sad is that this is literally the most Padme references in two hours of a show than we've had in the past. 15 years so yep. anyway again the bar is in hell the bar is low not notwithstanding i do have to mention that we have had a clone war season that did include padme sure. and, like, ga- we and have, really we did have had like the padme books and everything like yeah that, yeah but yeah still... but it really did fed us like they if they fed fed me fed the fellow padme fans like i'm here for that but it feels different when the show is really feeling like a revenge of the Sith sequel that it just feels like well here's what we got to do. We have to continue to like every single episode has a Padme reference and it's like literally blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's wild. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so wild. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Let's hope for more. I, I think the thing is, I think it makes sense. Like now that has been established and Obi-Wan 
has had dreams. He's had nightmares. He's now had a hallucination. He's been calling out to the mystical force. And now he's unconscious. Like, everything's kind of falling into place, I would think, for us to get more. So, whatever that looks like, I'm here for it. So unprepared, but also so prepared. Bring it on. So so unprepared, (laughs) yet so prepared. (laughs) Been preparing for this for my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, truly. (laughs) All right. Well, was there anything else you wanted to touch on in this episode? Not particularly. I think we covered it. What a devastating and brilliant, amazing (laughs) episode. Broken. It was so good. It was so good. I I love two broken people. Breaking each other down even more. Like, you got, you love to see it. <laughs> I love the angst. The angst is Give already more angst. A, a nine, a 9.5 on a scale. It's Caitlin. It's a 10 out of 10. I, but that's the thing. I can't, I can't make it a 10 because, like, we still have three episodes to go. <laughs> so it's going to push past 10. But, like, we're, we're already almost at the personal breaking point. So, yeah, yeah. When, when, I tell you when <laughs> I tell you when Obi-Wan and Vader were over that fire and Obi Anakin was like, I am what you made me. I'll I'll suffer as I've suffered. You'll suffer as I I was like losing my mind. <laughs> was yeah, like, when he when he pushes him down with the force into the fire, I was like oh, I, I my oh. mouth was agape for like twenty minutes. <laughs> I was like, this is so vicious and this makes so much so petty petty is putting it very lightly very lightly extremely (laughs) lightly like it's not petty it's like it's bad (laughs) anyway yeah I was just yeah anyway I'm loving the show I'm loving what they're doing I'm loving the angst I'm loving sassy Leia I'm loving Obi-Wan and Leia together (laughs) just you're my daughter I'm your father grandfather more like it (laughs) What? What did you say? So funny. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up this episode? No, I think that's it. Can't wait for next week. So pumped. I'm very excited. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this week's episode all about Obi-Wan Kenobi part three. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys are, you know, living through the angst barely just barely like we are we only have to live through it enough so we can make it to the next week and see the next episode so that's kind of all I'm living for (laughs) now that I'm back from celebration but I hope you guys enjoyed the show if you want to talk about it with us online you can find us on twitter at skytalkers pod or our personal handles mine is at caitlin plusher and charlotte's is at clarity we also have our website skytalkers.com our instagram and our tiktok all under skytalkers you can find us there And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, we would really appreciate it if you took a couple seconds to go and do that. It really helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support our show and how to get involved in our Discord community, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, John, Ian, Lakshana, Mike, Thomas, Daniel, Bridget, Brad, Captain Britain, Jackson, Amber, Raphael, Joey, Nicole, Nathan, Kimberly, Sam, Bailey, Courtney, Sintara, Irina, Kate, Matthew, and Mary. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 
Thank you.